Well, happy Valentine's Day. Y'all, y'all, no, 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 I, like, we, we got to get pumped. It's Valentine's Day. Cool, I'm going to say it again. Happy Valentine's Day. Come on, come on, come on. Listen, I love love, okay? Like, I love it. I love it so much. I love chick flicks. Like, any, any other guys brave enough to admit that or no? Cool, just me. Love that. Cool. Well, I love chick flicks. I love chocolate. I've already eaten some chocolate today. Y'all eating some chocolate? Cool. I, I buy flowers for myself sometimes. You know, that's, that's always a good time. Uh, I, I, but I love love. And, you know, right now I'm single, so it's just me. But I, I love it. Um, and it's, it, it's a good day. So I love Valentine's Day. And, I, and we are in a series right now called Love is Our Language. And we're in week two of that series. And then I am pumped to be up here preaching with you this morning, talking to you about love. Okay? Talking to you about marriage and communication. Okay? And you might be looking at me thinking, why you? Great question. Let me talk to you about it. Cool? So here's, here's the deal. First of all, we got a couple of pastors out, okay? And so, you know, next man up, you know? So I'm like, I'm ready to go always in season and out of season, as Joey McLaughlin would say, ready to preach the good word of the Lord. And so I'm here to talk to you about marriage. And the second thing is, man, I, I, I got to be honest, I heard from the Lord this week. Like I was sitting there in my quiet time and I came up to Steve and I was like, listen, I know this is your message, but give it to me. I want it, because I got some things to say. And you know, whether or not that was a good idea, he said, sure. So here we are, and I'm going to talk to you about marriage and about communication as the only single pastor on our staff. Y'all ready to lean in? Cool. Here we go. Come on. So listen, let me, let me, tell, let me talk to you about uh, what, what God was, uh, we're just going to dive in. I want to talk to you about what God revealed to me uh, this week. And uh, it's, it's really, it was foundational for me. It brought me to tears at one point. And I was just like, I fell more in love with Jesus because of what this was. And I hope it's as impactful for you as it was for me. And here it is. Main truth. All on the table right now. In order to have a successful marriage, you have to find somebody who wants to marry you. And I haven't. And Stephen has. So he's going to preach the rest of this message. Can we give it up for Stephen Gifts? Well, I thought I had a day off. Are these my notes? Uh, no, hey, let's, uh, let's jump in. Um, you know, if, if you are married, you're thinking about getting married, uh, we're not going to talk just about marriage today, but there is this component of marriage that we need to talk about. Now, when, when you research about the number one reason for conflict in marriage, number one challenge uh, in marriage, usually what bubbles up the top is money. That's usually what kind of comes up to the top, money, because, because men and women are different. There's two different types of people in marriage. And uh, if you've ever uh, listened to Dave Ramsey, you know that there's the nerd in marriage is the way they think about money. And nerds believe that money is flat and meant to be stacked like me, right? Anybody savers in the house? Come on, like, and, and so then you have the free spirit and free spirits believe that money is paper like confetti and we should partay, right? That's what they think. Come on, somebody, free spirits, right? And so money generally, a lot of times can be a source of conflict, but, but money's not the number one problem. Like some people, if you were to research, you would look at number two sometimes comes out or number one comes out to be sex, right? Sex can cause a lot of trouble in marriage, can cause a lot of conflict. There's just different ways that men and women look at sex. Anybody know this already? Any, any of you married folks know this already, right? We look at it differently. We see it differently. We have different experiences, um, you know, and so it can, it can be a source of challenge, but it's not the number one problem in marriages. The number one challenge that we have in marriage 
is communication. Feels boring, doesn't it? Communication, but it's not just in marriage. Guess what? If you were to poll the place where you work and ask what they could do better, guess what number one's gonna be? Better communication. Like if you have kids, right? If you have teenagers, communication is a problem, right? Because parents think they know it all. Come on, students, hello? Yeah, uh-huh, just kidding. I'm coming for you later, so get ready. Um, we, we know that with, in parenting and families, like if you have small kids and they play kids sports, you wish that your team mom would communicate with you better so you know what snack to bring, right? I mean, we know communication is a problem. One of the number one skills needed in the job market today, if you read um, some of the Harvard Business Reviews around this issue, is better communication skills. And listen, we have tons of opportunities to communicate, don't we? Think about all the different methods we have to communicate. I can grab my phone right now. I could type a message in. It would go to outer space across the ocean. It could land right here, somebody in the front row. Like we, we can have communication. We have broadcast TV. We have live streaming TV. We have radio. We have, we have landlines. Anybody in here still have a landline? Come on. Yeah, right. Some people still have a landline and some people don't even know what that is. Um, But it's the way that we communicate. We text each other. We can call each other. We can direct message each other. We can Snapchat each other. We can use smoke signals. Hey, you know what my dad used to do? He didn't have to say a word. You know what he did? He gave you the look, right? You know the look? I don't know exactly what he was saying, but I knew what he was saying, didn't you? Right? We know, man, there's so many different ways that we communicate. Listen, communication is to love what blood is to the body. Just think about this. Communication is to love. Communication is to life what blood is to the body. And the same way that blood carries oxygen and nutrients and other things that that the rest of our organs and body needs, communication is what flows out of us into other people. It's what flows out of us. It's how we're perceived. And the number one way that we communicate, no matter what you've heard, is through our words. It's our words. You and I will say about 800 million words in our lifetime. Mind-boggling. 800 million words. And with that many words, we, we, we have to remember their power, their potency, their purpose, and their potential. We, we got to remember how powerful our words are because words identify us. You'll be identified by your words. If you're in a job interview and they're discussing you, um, they're discussing whether they should hire you, they're going to talk about the things that you said and how you said them. If you're interviewing to get into colleges, they're going to talk about the words that you used, the way that you wrote them and the interview, the video that you sent in. Man, you're going to be identified by your words. Let me just ask you this question. How do your words identify you? If someone were to examine your words and from that make a deduction about your life and what you were about and the kind of person you were, like how would your words identify you? And we want to be people as a church whose words would identify us as love, that love is our language. But as people individually, we also have a certain way we want to be identified. And so we're going to unpack some of that today. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And uh, maybe you have a phone or a tablet or something else. Go ahead and grab that and maybe grab something to take a few notes on. We'll be asking questions throughout the message. Now, James, just kind of as a background, James uh, wrote this particular portion of the Bible. Now, James was Jesus' half-brother. 
okay? He was Jesus' half-brother, because we know that Jesus' dad was God and James' dad was Joseph, so not quite full brother, but half-brother. So he grew up with Jesus. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? Because this is what's always, this is what James is going to hear every day. You know, you know, James is going to hear this every day. Can't you just be more like your brother? Because your brother's perfect. Like this is, this is his life. So he grows up seeing Jesus, listening to Jesus, understanding Jesus, playing with Jesus, just all the things. And then as he gets to be an adult, they think that Jesus is mentally unstable. Anybody think their, their sibling is mentally unstable? Anybody in here? So what do they do? Jesus is teaching. They try, to, they try to keep him from teaching. They try to keep him from going public with people so he won't embarrass himself and embarrass them. And then something happens to James. James has this radical transformation. James sees his brother executed and sees him rise from the dead. And James becomes the leader of the first church. He becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And James is known as James the Just because of his integrity. And then James writes these words that are very practical. Sometimes they're hard to take. They're so practical and so convicting. But James knew what it was going to take for people to be able to follow Jesus because he had experienced Jesus his entire life to the point where James finally got martyred. And James has a lot to say about our words and about our tongue. And he says it over and over and over again. And this is how we kind of get into this passage for today. In James chapter 1, verse 19, James writes this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Does that sound like easier said than done to anybody in the room? Slow to be angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So James just starts out talking about the power of the tongue when he just says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to, slow to become angry. And I think James is just trying to point out the power of words. He's just trying to point out the power of words. Listen, we all know words are more than words, aren't they? Words aren't just words. We, say, we know that words count in life. And there's a few different ways that we use the word word. Words can be what? Empty. I mean, they have no meaning. I mean, there's nothing, there's no substance behind him because we expect there to be substance behind our words. This is a man's word is his bond. It used to be a handshake deal, be all it would take. You wouldn't have to have a contract, no attorneys. It says this, you can have the last word. If you want to have the last word, you're going to have no relationship. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, a loaded word. Words can be loaded, loaded with meaning, loaded like a baked potato or a gun, not sure which one. A picture's worth a thousand what? Words, words. Weigh your words. Those are fighting words. There's a war of words. Listen, we make promises with words. There are road signs with words on them that tell us where to go, how fast to go, which way to go, when to go, if we can go. Words are important. Now there's power in words. Now words, if we look at the Bible, words create the world that we live in. Words create the world that we live in. You know, Jesus, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says in the beginning, the earth was formless and void and nothing existed. And then God said, let there be light. His words literally created the world. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, it says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, don't return there, but they water the earth. They make it bring forth and sprout. They give seeds to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be. So, so, so here's the picture. 
We need rain as much as we've had lately. Come on, somebody. Hello, sunshine, right? We need rain. Rain causes plants to grow. It causes the air to get clean. It causes food to grow. It causes everything that we need for life. And and God says this, so my word goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Meaning that God's words are intended to change things. They're not just empty words that we obey, but they're powerful words that change things. They create the world that we live in. Words are powerful. And because we're created in God's image, our words carry power. Our words carry substance. Our words carry meaning. They change the world that we live in. And Jesus tells us to be really, really careful about the words that we use. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every intentional word they speak. That's not what it says. Every careless word that they speak. Anybody in here ever said a careless word? Today? Anybody? Think about the gravity and the magnitude of this verse. That the careless words that we say are even going to be judged, implying that even the, the intentional words that we say judged even more. That, that the words that we say will be a reflection with how we handle the reckoning that's coming for us at the end of our lives. Man, words are important. You may, you may have heard this, um, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And I get where we're going with that. Like some people just talk and there's no action. But listen, talk is not cheap. Man, man, our founding fathers died for free speech. that We'd have this ability to use words. Uh, The impeachment that we've seen throughout this last week had to do with some words that were spoken and what they meant and what they incited and what happened. Listen, words words are powerful. Talk is not cheap. And Jesus says, uh, by our words, we're going to be judged. By the careless words that we say, we're going to be judged. Our words have created worlds that we live in. Think about some of the words that created these worlds. Some of you said, I love you. And a relationship started. The world was different. Some of you said, I do. Marriage happened. Some of you said, I don't anymore. Created joint custody. Somebody, somebody's spouse asked them, do I look fat in these pants? And somebody said, yes. Created couples counseling. (laughs) The words that we say, the words that we use create the worlds that we live in. Let me ask you this. What world has your words created? If you had just examined the people around you and the world that you live in, the words that you say and how you talk, the language you use, the, the tone that you use, like what world is your words creating? You know, words can be weapons. They can be weapons that can kill. They can be tools that transform. Man, we can use words to hurt people, to tear them down, or we can use w- words to help people and to build them up. It doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. It just means we tell the truth differently. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Now, that seems extreme on the surface, right? But think about it. Death is in the power of the tongue. The words that you say can be poison to someone and bring them down. But also on the other side... They can be words of life. They can bring help and health. You know, the number one, uh, the most, excuse me, most poisonous toxin in the world is this toxin called botulinum, botulinum. And it is so powerful that it takes 0.0000001 grams to kill a grown person. Like microscopic, you can't even see it. 
man, and it will kill you in a, in a, in a hurry. Number one toxin in the world. Now, now, on the other side, that toxin also is known by some of us as Botox. And Botox is used for some amazing things. Botox can cure your migraine. Botox can help you with some esophagus problems you have. And most importantly, Botox can fix our wrinkles. Make us appear younger, right? Not me, but you. And so you have this poison that can kill you, but also it's this medicine that can help you. This is the power of words. This is the same way that words operate. They, have, they can be this poison or they can be this medicine depending on how we choose to use them. And as Christians, our words should mark us as different. There's the power of good words and the power of bad words. Like some of you, maybe you remember a coach or a teacher, a parent, a friend breathing some life-giving words into you. Said something positive, maybe even painted the picture of your future for you, something you hadn't thought of, something you didn't see in yourself and they told you about it. And you're like, yeah, that's true. I can remember the first time someone breathed some words of life and leadership and, into me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Maybe that could be me. But we also know, you also know the power of bad words, don't we? Negative words. You, ever, you remember any of the negative words that were told to you? Like I, I remember this story about when I was, uh, I played baseball growing up, uh, like from the time I was born till I was in high school, like I was playing baseball and I played other sports too, but baseball was my favorite and it was uh, probably the best at. And so I was a freshman in high school. Back then freshmen were in the ninth grade. And so um, I was uh, playing on the baseball team and I was a catcher. And so that meant I did all the grunt work. So I would catch batting practice. Everybody else got to hit the ball, which is the fun part of baseball. I had to hunker down behind the plate. And I can remember one day, it was a day exactly like today. It was wet and cold. I think there was three or four feet of snow on the ground to make the story better, but it was wet and it was cold and I'm catching batting practice. And my job is to catch the ball and I have another job. It's to count how many swings the batter is swinging because you don't want someone just to stay up there and swing forever because they will, because that's the fun part of baseball. And so I'm counting and then there's a point where I lost count. I wasn't paying attention and there was a senior batting and I'm not about to tell him he's done, um, even though I would have won, just saying, but I wasn't about to tell him. And so the coach says, Gibbs, how many is that? Now I knew they were supposed to get seven swings. So I said the only right answer, six, right? Not just a hat rack, six. I knew that way I wouldn't get in trouble. And the coach yells at me across the baseball field. It's still echoing in my mind. What are you in remedial math? Now that led to a couple of things. Number one, I never played baseball after that year. And number two, I got a math degree. Hello. <laughs> and, and here's the thing that coach was honestly a great coach very encouraging I took I took driver's ed from him did a lot of great things for me but I still remember that and so do you so do you somebody said something negative to you and you still say it to yourself and some of the words we tell ourselves are words of death they're some of the most powerful most enslaving words that we hear and it comes from what we tell ourselves. You know, somebody told you along the way that you were lazy or you were dumb or you weren't quite as smart or you were fat or you were ugly. You've begun to adopt that as your identity and these words just keep echoing over and over in your mind. And so you have to learn to combat that. I tell you one thing you should do very practically. You should write down some really good words about yourself and you should read them every morning when you get up and every night before you go to bed. I am loved. In Jesus, I am valued. I am smart. I have a job. Like, whatever it is, write it down so that you 
can remember. Don't let, don't let those negative words steal your life and become words of death. This is why James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I don't know about you. Like, I'm slow at a lot of things. I'm slow to catch a joke. I'm slow to understand. I'm really slow in the 40-yard dash, like really slow. I'm not slow to talk. Like, that, that, that doesn't come natural to me. If, like, if communication is a car, I got a better gas pedal than I do a brake, don't you? Like, we have this ability to just say things. I was reading this week, like, what are some rules that we could have around our words? And the first thing I thought of, especially that words are life and death, is like, what are the rules that you get when you take basic handgun training? Like, that's what we should use. So the first rule for basic handgun training is treat all firearms as if they're loaded, right? And we should treat our words as if they're loaded. We should know they're going to have impact. We should know that something's going to happen on the other end of these words. And it could be good and it could be bad if I don't pay attention. And, if, and then, you know, the next one is always keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. So many times our finger's always on the trigger. So no matter what somebody says, we aren't listening. What are we doing? Waiting to talk. Anybody do that? Like, I don't know what they're saying right now, but I know my response, and it is way better than what they're saying. <laughs> it's way smarter, and I'm right. Two words that lead to divorce. I'm right. I'm just telling you. Right? We got to treat them. We got to keep our finger off the trigger too many times. Uh, we we got to be certain of our target. The line of fire. Have you ever noticed there's always collateral damage? If you're a parent in here, your other kids are hearing how you discipline and encourage and uh, parent your other kids probably more than they hear what you're saying to them. They're watching. You know, my, my boys would always just stay out of the way. Like one of them would get in trouble, they would all head to their room. Like I don't want any part of that, right? They're, they're listening to what's going on. And we got to be careful. There's not collateral damage with our words. And finally, listen, always wear appropriate eye and ear covering. Now what that means to me is my words can hurt me and not you. Like I, I end up having regrets over some things that I say. We end up having uh, shame over some things we might say or not say. Because sometimes we need to speak up and not using words is just as bad as using words. So those are kind of some rules of engagement. In Proverbs chapter 29, it says this. You see a man who's hasty in his words, quick to use his words, more hope for a fool than for him. Like we've got to be quick to hear, we've got to listen, we've got to be slow to speak. Now, if, to put, we need to put as much energy in listening as we do into talking. And, and I know there's some stereotypical roles that men and women play in relationships, whether you're dating or whether you're married or whatever, some stereotypical roles. And I feel like um, I found this video um, that illustrates this perfectly. So let's take a look. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And... I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't... 
think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Any fixers in the room? Just want to fix it. It's a problem. I want to fix it. Just want to solve it. But sometimes we just need to listen. And sometimes we don't really listen because we don't really care, do we? Sometimes our language is not love. Sometimes we don't listen because sometimes we don't, we don't really care what someone else has to say. You know, you know Paul, I mean, James says this. He says, don't be quick, don't be slow to anger. Don't be quick to get angry. Now, the opposite of anger is not self-control. The opposite of anger is humility. The opposite of anger is saying, I may not be right. Like what you have to say may actually be something that I need to hear. There may be some truth there that's going to help me grow. And that's what humility is. You know, John Gottman is a, is a marriage expert. John Gottman is a guy who can predict with 96% accuracy whether a couple will get divorced. Like that's an A plus any school you go to. 96% accuracy. And he doesn't look at their family of origin. He doesn't look at their, he doesn't look at their personality types to see if they conflict. He watches how they communicate. And he points out specific areas that he can identify that are determinants of if you're going to stay married or not. And I think these also play their, make their way into every area of our life, into how we relate. Now, we tend to treat people in our family a little worse than other people. You've heard the saying, listen, I can say that about my family, but you can't. And so that tends to happen. But there's some areas that he points out. Number one is criticism. Criticism. Now, he's not talking about complaining. He's not talking about pointing out the truth. So think of it this way. Let's say that we go home. My wife's like, Stephen, you left your towels on the floor again and your desk is a mess which never happens, by the way. But I'm just saying, like, if she said that to me, I'd be like, okay, I'll clean it up. She's like, hey, can you straighten that up? I got guests coming over. Now, if she begins to say to me, hey, you got towels on the floor, your desk is a mess, you are a slob. She's moved from complaining to criticism. She's, she's moved from it just kind of being about the issue to being a character assassination about me. And when you enter into that type of communication, it's gonna end in death. It's gonna end in destruction. Another one that he points out is contempt contempt. It's where you're just disgusted by another person. It's like no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how they try, you're disgusted not by what they did, but by them, that they don't measure up, that they're second class, that they're deficient in some way. Now, the opposite of that for me is being, uh, being someone's cheerleader. Like you're, you should be your spouse's greatest cheerleader. If you're dating, you should be your girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance. You should be their greatest cheerleader. At work, you should be your employees, employers, um, colleagues, greatest cheerleader. Like we could use some more cheerleading in our life. Amen, somebody? Like we could use some more cheerleading in this world. I, I know that people will say, you're, like my kids at times would say this to me, you're just saying that because you're my dad. Heck yeah, I did. Exactly. 
<laughs> and I don't have to be right, but I have to be cheerleading, right? I mean, we need more cheerleaders in our life. And if you're married, your spouse needs you to be their cheerleader all day, every day. That's your job, right? Being, being condemning and con- criticizing like that is always going to lead to destruction. Another one is being defensive, that's a relational tactic that never works. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're kind of sharing something with them and they want to tell you how it's all your fault? Like, if, like, let's say my wife said, hey, you leave those towels out. And I'm like, well, if you would just put the laundry basket right there, they would never be on the floor, right? I get, if I get defensive all the time and I'm always putting it back on you or always putting it back on someone else, there's no room for me to grow and there's no reason to really have a conversation. And the opposite of being defensive is just being teachable. Like no matter what's being said to me, maybe just maybe there's some truth in there because remember, I am not always right. Defensive is another area um, that, he, that he marks out. Another one, stonewalling, the cold shoulder. Any stonewallers in here? Don't raise your hand. Um, and it looks, it looks different in a lot of different places to a lot of different people. It can look like sitting on the couch watching TV or reading a book and pretending you're in a book and not really paying attention to what's going on in your house. It can look like staying at the grocery store a little too long because you don't want to come home and have to deal with whatever's going on there, problem, conflict, energy. It can look like staying at the office later than you really have to um, under the guise of I got to get work done just because you really, it's because you don't want to come home and have to deal with the conversation. And these are some of the ones that Gottman points out. You have this idea of criticism, contempt, being defensive, and then stonewalling that can destroy relationships. Now, here's the reality. You've heard this sermon before. Like you know that you have two ears and one, ma- one mouth so you'll listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> you know sarcasm is not going to be the best way f- to resolve a problem. Listen, you know that you should count to 10 before you respond just to calm yourself down. Maybe even a little breathing technique in there to help you. Like we know this. And he- here's the issue. Word problems are not word problems. They're not communication problems. Word problems are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. We don't need a change in tips and techniques. We need to change a heart. And if your words are always critical, I would be willing to bet you have a very critical heart. If your words are always defensive, I would bet you have an insecure heart. Man, if your words are always combative, I bet you have a very defensive heart. Listen, if your words are always angry, what's that say about the kind of heart that you have? Man, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, he said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So think about it. Whatever you say actually comes out of what's in here. So think about the words that you said maybe today, maybe yesterday, Maybe to somebody, maybe just out loud to yourself. Like, it comes out of your heart. That's where these things start. I wonder what your words say about your heart. Like, what do your words say about your heart? Now, there's another question I would love for you to write down. How does my communication make you feel? How does my communication make you feel? Ask somebody this question, and it'll tell you a lot about your heart. So, for instance... Maybe, it's, maybe you're a parent. Ask your kids, how does my communication, the way I talk to you, the way I reach out to you, the language I use, how does it make you feel? Like, what is my effect on you? How do you basically identify 
me. Same question that we started with. Like if you're married, ask your spouse, how do I make, how does my communication, how do I make you feel? How do I make you feel? Now it's Valentine's Day. So if you want to wait until tomorrow, perfectly okay. (laughs) I have a word that I read, a sentence that I read every morning because I've got goals and I'm just kind of like that. But every morning, the word that I read, and maybe this, you could use it, but maybe there's another word that you could use for you and you're, if you're married, but the, the word that I read is the word adore. I want Debbie to feel adored every day. Now she doesn't, if I'm just being honest, especially today when I tell stories about her, but That's how I want her to feel. And so if I'm not accomplishing that goal, then I need to make some changes. So for you, what is that? It's a heart issue. And Jesus came to change the heart. Listen, here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other spiritual pathway. Jesus didn't come to give us rules. He didn't come to say, do this and don't do that. Jesus came to change your heart. Because when your heart gets changed, guess what? Your motives change. Your wants to change. Your desires change. Your priorities change. And it doesn't become a chore. It actually becomes something that you want to do to bring life. And I love this about the gospel. That God wants to change and transform our lives right where we are. And if you've got a language problem, right, you've got a love problem because you know that you're not loved by God. And, and Jesus tells this great story. Uh, there's this great story about him in the book of John. John was another uh, uh, biographical uh, writing about Jesus. And it, and it goes like this. There were several hundred people that were following Jesus, some of them on the outskirts. But he had his kind of his core really close by. He begins to tell him how hard it's going to be. He begins to talk to them about what it's going to mean to follow him. The fact they're going to die and they're going to die bad. They're not going to be healthy and wealthy, unlike what a lot of people would say today. It's not how it goes. I mean, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be shipwreck. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be loneliness. Like there's going to be difficulty, even though he's enough, there's going to be difficulty. And when that happens, guess what the crowd does? They leave, man. They're getting out of Dodge. They're moving. They leave, but his core stays with them. And he looks at them. Now, if it's me, and most of the, my followers have left, I'm circling the wagons. I'm like, hey, you guys, maybe I, maybe I miscommunicated something. But Jesus doesn't do that. He looks them in the eye and he says, are you going to leave too? Do you want to leave too? And then Peter says this. He answered him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They recognized in Jesus that his words were going to grant them the life they'd always wanted. They recognized that in Jesus it's not death but life. They recognize it's not darkness but light. Where else would we go? And so when you begin to examine your words, examine your heart. Where have you been going? What have you expected to bring you life? Where has it fallen short? Because listen, Jesus is enough. The beauty of the gospel is that there's a God and he is good. And he knows that we've gone after our own way. He knows that we've tried to find life in so many other places. And he knows that it's turned up empty. And our mark on the world, we're identified as shallow, mean, angry, frustrated, irritated but something happens when God steps in that when we begin to follow him God's given us a solution that we can have life and our impact on the world can be life like who doesn't want that to be their legacy let's pray together so we'll just
have a few quiet moments here as we end our service today. Whether you're here in the room or online, just examine like what has been your impact? What do your words say about your life, about how you're living, how you're identified? I mean, are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are your words anxious words and thoughts? Do you still repeat this phrase over and over and over and over again that you heard from maybe when you were a kid or middle school or older that just is negative and holds you back and you've adopted it as your identity? Man, those words you need to let go of. Words like quitter and stupid and ugly and failure and weak, fearful. And those aren't words that God wants you to hear this morning. God wants you to hear words like you're strong in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That there is no fear in love. Those are the kind of words that God wants you to hear this morning. That perfect love casts out fear. That Jesus calls you a friend. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be rescued. These are the words of life that God has. God, words that we need to hear and words we need to take to the world. So God, we just ask you to help us hear words of life. You know, with just in this quietness of the moment, maybe for you, you've never taken that step to really experience words of life, to really, to really follow Jesus, to accept the words that he gives you and plants in your heart. And today's the day you need to do that. You're tired of running, you're tired of negativity, you're tired of looking to other places to bring you life. And you just wanna ask God to bring you life today. You know, the way that we do that is just by acknowledging that we fail, we've fallen short, and we need to step into the life that God has for us, that we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, and we just commit our lives to follow him and to bring us the life that we want. You know, and if you've never done that, made that commitment, I just want to lead you in some words to God, a conversation with God today that will help you to do that. So I would just ask you just to repeat after me. And it's not because of the words that I say, but it's the commitment of your, remember, heart. Dear God, I've run after my own gods. I've looked for life in the wrong places. Forgive me for my sins. I trust that Jesus died so that I may live. Help me to be someone who gives life to the people around me. You know, when the Bible says immediately when you do that, your heart begins to get changed. God's gonna reorder some things in your life and you're gonna be someone who gives life to people around them. God, we're grateful, grateful for the gospel. What, a, what an amazing privilege that we can follow a God who loves us, wants us to have influence. God, I pray that we be a church that, man, when people experience us, they experience love, that love is our language, God, that we don't back down from knowing that the truth is what's gonna set people free, God, but we do it in a way that helps people see the freedom that they can experience. We just pray in Jesus' name, amen.